Amen. We'll grab your Bibles this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 1, and we will be reading verses 26 and verses 27. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside family, and good morning and happy Mother's Day. Uh, to all the women of Westside. And I've said this many times before, Westside is um, very blessed with the um, physical moms that we have and the mother of children. But also at the same time, Westside is blessed with spiritual moms as well. And I've said this many times that Westside's doors um, would not be open to this day if it wasn't for faithful women who loved and feared the Lord and loved God's word and um, shepherded and nurtured um, this church uh, for, for many, many years. And what I want to do today is just to take a few brief moments to encourage um, the women of Westside. And the way in which I want to do that is, as I was praying and thinking about how to approach this, I always just sort of start with Jesus. I think that's a good place to start, right? Um, Jesus being the most significant person uh, who has ever walked this earth. But then when you go out of that sphere of influence, if you will, um, if Jesus, follow my logic here, if, if Jesus was the most significant person who ever lived, then Mary... The mother of Jesus is the most significant mother to ever live. I mean, when you think about that, it, it, it makes sense to me. And, and then when you look back upon church history, we see Mary holds um, a high place of honor. Now, you know, if you grew up, uh, you know, Protestant, maybe you were uh, afraid to, to give Mary too much honor, right? And, and maybe if you grew up in another tradition, maybe there was too much honor there. I don't, I don't know. But what I want to look at today is, is not Mary as an object of our faith, but as an example of faith. And, and actually even um, outside of Christianity, um, Mary has had an impact even in other religions, actually. Um, even in Islam, Mary actually holds the highest place and honor that a woman can in Islam. And, and, and why is that? Why, why does Mary hold such um, a significant place when we look back upon church history? Well, obviously... Um, Jesus is, is the answer to that, right? And so a way I want to do that today is um, in, in Luke's gospel, Luke writes the gospel of Luke, which is his eyewitness interview account of Jesus's life. Luke authors um, the book of Luke, and then the sequel to that is the book of Acts. So think about it this way. Um, the book of Luke is about the birth and life of Jesus Christ, and the book of Acts is about the birth and the life of the church of Jesus Christ. Luke, more than any other gospel writer, mentions Mary. He mentions Mary 12 times in his gospel. Now think about this. Luke tells us in the beginning of his gospel that he goes around and interviews eyewitnesses. So Luke sat down 
with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and asked her questions and recorded her story. Now, women, if I could just encourage you for a moment. Um, I think when it comes to womanhood and especially motherhood, questions that I hear a lot and see is, you know, how, how do I do this? And maybe you're even asking, um, how can I do this? What's supposed to be my model for this? And maybe you grew up with a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-reading, praying mother, and we praise God for that. And maybe you didn't. But oftentimes, um, even whether it's fatherhood, motherhood, being a man or being a woman, we need a model and an example to sort of look at. And so today what I want to do is I just want to spend a few brief moments, if we can, looking um, at Mary as a model for motherhood. And I just want to look at a few things, and I see eight sort of marks that we can look at. And the first one's real encouraging. The first one is this. Um, Mary was ordinary. <laughs> I know that sounds a little bit weird, but I just feel like that's good news, right? Um, in Luke chapter 1, it says this, the, the verses that were just read. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, we don't know the impact of that in this day and age because that's literally almost sort of in a way a central point for Christianity. But Back then, that was just this small, obscure town. I mean, I've joked and said this a few times, but if we were reading it in modern-day Butler County terms, you know, in southeast Missouri, it would say in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Missouri named Donovan, or something like that, right? And then it says this, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So in 2020 terms, um, this young girl who's engaged, who lives in a small, obscure town um, in the middle of nowhere, who's just living an ordinary life. And the reason why I find encouragement in that, why I believe that's a word for the women of Westside, is this. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you at home with the kids. God sees you at your place of work. God sees you in your life's, uh, life stage of being single. God sees you um, as, as a widow. God sees you. God sees into the ordinary. And I believe that that's massively important for us in, in 2020 and on Facebook and Instagram when every family is filtered and cropped and everything looks perfect. And what we're constantly asking ourselves is, is my life significant? And does this matter? The answer is, is, is yes. And the reason why I think Mary can be a model for us is because Mary was ordinary. Mary was from a small town. There wasn't this great extraordinary thing that was taking place before this story. But then it leads to the second one is this. Um, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the game changer. 
You see, the storyline of the Bible is not heroes and extraordinary people doing extraordinary things for God. That is not the storyline of the Bible at all. The storyline of the Bible is God pursuing his rebellious, broken creation that has rebelled against him. And he takes ordinary people and fills them with his spirit and they do extraordinary things for God. And we see this in the story in Luke chapter 1 verse 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel comes and we know this storyline, right? The angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are blessed and highly favored with God because of God's grace. And, and the Holy Spirit is going to, I love, the, I love the term, overshadow you. Overshadow you and empower you for this to take place. Listen, God has made no, mama, please listen to me. God has made no other provision for your life to live the Christian life apart from his Holy Spirit. That's it. It doesn't matter the amount of the cups of coffee. It doesn't matter what gets you through the day. What gets you through the day is the start of the day going, God, I need your spirit today. I need your spirit today. Mary was ordinary, yes, but Mary was filled with the Spirit of God. And then the third thing that I see is this. Mary entrusted herself to God. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, just think about this storyline for a while. This is a young girl who has plans for her life. She's engaged. Um, it's a small town. She has plans for her life. God shows up and reveals his plans for her life and her response. And we see um, other parts in the story that she asks honest questions and engages with the angel, the messenger of God. And then the final answer is long before Paul McCartney said it, right? She says, let it be. Let this happen to me as to what God's word has said. You know, which, which tells me something. The opposite of faith is not doubt, okay? So maybe you're a woman right now and, and, and you're in a season in your life and, and you're asking some questions. You want to know about a particular relationship or what God's word has said. And, and you're asking some questions and there's a bit of doubt there. The opposite of faith is not doubt. We say this all the time at Westside, that doubt is actually the doorway to faith. That we bring our doubts to Jesus. That Mary in this story asks God questions and engages with that. The opposite of faith is control. And what we don't see Mary do is try to control the outcome of what is taking place in her life but rather there's a level of surrender there. And I think a lot of times what we want in our life is, is explanations from God. When, as one author says, um, God doesn't give us explanations to live by. He gives us promises. Promises, not explanations. And what Mary says is, okay, um, 
God, if you've promised that you're going to do this, and then here's just three letters, yes. Yes. You see, I don't think, um, I don't think that God needs your ability as a woman. Now hear me out. God doesn't need that. God's very capable on his own. What God is simply asking from you is your yes. What God is asking you as a woman is your yes, is your yes, your surrender to his word, just like Mary. This is how Mary viewed God's word, as over her, that Mary was in submission to the word of God. And as one famous church father said, because of Mary's yes, the world was never the same. You see, God wants to partner with us in our life. God is the initiator and we are the responders. And oftentimes what we want is for God to give us the answer and then we can do everything else on our own. But what we see from Mary is, is what God desires is the yes in the partnership. And so Mary entrusted herself to God. That is a model for motherhood. And then the fourth thing I see is this. Mary sought counsel with older and wiser women. This will be fun. This will be great. You ready? Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 40. In those days, after this situation happened, and um, an angel shows up and tells Mary, hey, um, remember the promised Messiah, the whole storyline of the Old Testament? Remember that hearing um, about the prophecies in Isaiah and the temple and this, that, and the other? Yeah, that's actually going to happen. And um, you are going to give birth to the Son of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when Mary hears this news, listen, please don't try to make this story something that it's not. When Mary hears this news, do you know what her first response is? Because the angel tells her something in the story. The angel says, hey, if you need credibility for this, God's also doing something in your cousin Elizabeth's life. God's also giving Elizabeth, who's in her old age, a child. And so if you need to um, sort of collaborate these stories, um, you can check with Elizabeth. So what does, listen, don't miss this. What does Mary do when she receives a word from God and is not sure how it's going to play out in her life? She goes to an older, wiser woman. And it says this in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 40. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And then if you drop down, verse uh, 56 says this in Luke chapter 1. And Mary remained with her three months and then returned home. So Mary makes this journey um, on her own and goes in to talk to Elizabeth, who we know um, is, is, is older than her. What does this show me immediately out of the gate? I mean, this just jumps right off the page. This shows the humility of Mary. That Mary doesn't go, um, well, looks like I'm the one who's going to birth Jesus, so all women should therefore sit at my feet, right? She doesn't do that. She goes, um... I need to figure out what this is going to be happening in my life. Like, what am I going to tell um, Joseph? We're, we're in gay. How is this? 
and she runs to Elizabeth. You see, we, we see this principle laid out all through Scripture. Um, that, that, that whether you're a man or, or a woman, the Bible doesn't have a lot of good things to say about being young, okay? Like, especially for men. Um, in the Proverbs, it's like um, men's glory is their strength. Yeah, well, great, strong. You know, so is the stomach virus. Awesome. That doesn't really mean anything, okay? But then it has a lot of warnings and talks about um, the folly that comes with youth. And so, and so we see a precedence and a principle in Scripture. We see that there's wisdom that comes um, with age and, and through life experience. Now, that doesn't mean that all people who are older are wise. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that there's a level of wisdom that you can only gain through experience, okay? Now, now, ladies, can I talk to you for just a second? There's something that I'm very weary about in my generation and my age group. Um, my generation has like 25 and 26 and 27 and 28-year-old people that are leading like marriage conferences and doing like parenting seminars. Now, I think that's cool and that's great, but I'm not so sure that we should be leading seminars on this because as the scriptures teach us, there's a level of wisdom that can only come through experience and there are things that we have not yet experienced. And so actually um, the apostle Paul writes to Titus who's, who's an elder at a church and he's giving him instruction for the organization of his church. And one of the things that he says is, well, I'll just read it to you. Um, it says this in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. It's almost like he knew about mimosas back then or something. I don't know. But it's slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Like, I mean, honestly, honest, can we just be honest? I think if, if Titus chapter two, verses three through five was a conference for, for womanhood and women and motherhood right now, I feel like the attendance would be a little bit low. I'm just going to be honest with you because that seems to go directly against the sort of self-help, um, wash your hair face, look inside yourself, and then you can do this sort of thing on your own. What Titus actually says and what the word of God says is nobody can do this on their own. And what you need is a community of people that will sit you down and say, I know what it's been I know, what it's, I know what it is to be a woman who's been married for 30, 40 years. I know what it is to be a man who's, who's loved a woman for 30 or 40 years. And listen, can I just say something very loving to you? If you are not willing to sit down and ask for help from someone who's older than you. And listen, I don't care. Don't do the criteria thing with me. Don't go, well, there's just no one around and nobody, I mean, they've been divorced. You know what? Hey, do you know what I think? I think that sitting across the table from someone who's been divorced, that there's enough wisdom there that you can gain than from some New York Times bestsellers book. I just think that. And I think it says more about us 
that we're not able to humbly sit down and say this, I need help. I need help. And when I see what Mary does as a model for motherhood, Mary asks for help from an older, wiser woman. And then I see this, number five, that Mary loved God first. Mary loved God first. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 47. And Mary said, this is the, the Magnificant, if you will. It's a very famous passage of scripture. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, um, as, as, as Augustine says, that the greatest competition for us as human beings is, is what we love. And to become a Christian, as, as Augustine would say, is this. To become a Christian is to reorder your loves. And so, Mama, can I just, can I just say something to you right now? Um, God did not put you on this earth to love those children. Listen, God did not put you on this earth to love your husband first. God, that's, that's a wrong saying. God placed you on this earth so you could know him and make much of him. That's what we see that Mary understands is that my soul magnifies the Lord. And I see no more pressure than I see upon women in 2020 as to what it is to, to have a competition of loves, if you will. And what it is to be a woman and it's defined by this, that and the other. Well, um, Jen Wilkin is, is an author and, and a lady who loves the word of God and teaches women. And, and I would highly suggest any book that she has written um, for you and your spiritual growth. But she says these words, a mom whose love for her kids is motivated by their achievements or behavior has identity issues. If she has to raise the perfect child to feel at peace about her worth, her identity is misplaced. By asking motherhood to be her savior, she reveals not that she loves her kids too much, but too little. But too little. Listen, that's the exact opposite of everything that you're getting every day from the world. But what we understand in the reordering of our loves is that Mary is a model for motherhood and she says, my soul magnifies God, not my soul magnifies my kids or my soul magnifies my career or my soul magnifies that I'm a strong woman and I got it all together and I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm autonomous and I don't need, it doesn't say, she says, my soul magnifies God, God first. That Mary is a model for motherhood that way. The sixth principle that I see is this, um, that Mary's family went to church. <laughs> like, look at how simple it is. Luke chapter two, verses 22 through 23. Little six pound, eight pound, uh, or six pound, eight ounce baby, no, I'm just kidding, right? Verse 22 says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So what do we see? We see that Mary and Joseph um, love God and are a part of their local tabernacle there. And they take Jesus. This is why we dedicate babies is because Jesus was dedicated. 
And, and, and we see um, the family, I've learned it this way. The family is like a solar system, okay? And, and just like a solar system needs a sun to orbit around, the family will always orbit around something. And this would be controversial, but whatever. Most of the time, it's a hobby, whether it be sports, whether it be something. And so the family schedule revolves primarily first and foremost after school and after career is around something, right? We don't see that in Mary as a model for motherhood. We see that first and foremost, they come as a family and go, okay, what does God's word say about this? Okay, what does God's word say about this? As according to the law of Moses, they said the rhythm, listen, your family has a rhythm and routine, whether you say that or not. And what will happen is, is, is the day to day will set a rhythm for you or you can set a rhythm for your life. You know, and this is something that we've taught on before, a rule of life. And what a rule of life does is it keeps you from being ruled by life. That's it. And so what we see um, from Mary and, and their family is, is no, 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 no. Um, God's word, God's people, that's what our family is going to orbit around first. And then everything else comes secondary. And then what I see is this, not only that Mary's family went to church, this is super cool. Um, principle number seven is this, um, Mary served the church. Mary's mentioned again um, later in the book of Acts. Okay, so this is, I mean, life, death, burial, resurrection. I mean, her son, I mean, this is just incredible. I mean, when, I mean honestly, I would, I mean, if, if, if you're a young lady watching this, or if you're a mom, or if you're, I think we have done ourselves a great disservice um, when it comes to sort of being afraid of whatever the Catholic Church or whatever has happened to Mary, that, that we've sort of thrown the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. But listen, if you're a young woman, I don't know of any other greater example in the Word of God than Mary for you of being a young woman whose whole life has changed because of the will of God and how she loved God and, I mean, lived her life. But then in the book of Acts, we see this in Acts chapter 1. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. And here it is. Luke, Luke drops this like, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brothers. I mean, that's almost like a scene from The Godfathers, right? It's like, na, 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 and Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? I mean, she has a status in the church, man. This is a big deal. But do you know what I see? I see Mary at a, at a prayer meeting. <laughs> I see Mary at a uh, Wednesday night Bible study. See, Mary just didn't go to church. Um, Mary served the church. And can I say something, um, especially to, to you mothers and to you mothers of, of young children? Um, you are constantly serving your kids. And one of the difficulties in parenting is, is reminding your children that they are not the center of the universe. And it's difficult because every day is spent upon serving them, upon serving them. And so it's very easy by osmosis to go, 
well, everybody in this house serves me. It's like cat theology is how I've heard it before, right? The difference in a cat and a dog, as one preacher said, is a dog says, you, you, feed, um, you feed me, I get water, you love me, you must be God. That's incredible, right? Like, and that's why they're excited when you come home. But a cat says, you feed me, you give me water, you show me love and attention, I must be God, right? And in a way, spending so much time serving our children almost makes it that the children are the center of the home. Absolutely not. And what your kids need more than anything is to see the family serving something greater than the family. And so what we see is that Mary has this example in motherhood that that not only God's word is what their family orbits around and loving God, but but please listen, mama. Please listen, wife. Please listen, um, a woman who's fearfully and wonderfully made, please, please listen to this. What the world needs most, what your kids need most, what your husband needs most, what your family needs most is a woman who loves Jesus. That's what the world needs. That's my last point. That's what we see. We see that Mary loved Jesus, but listen, not just as her son, but as her Savior, Lord God in Christ. So there's a lot of pressure. There's always a lot of pressure of, um, I need to love my kids more than anything, and I need to love my husband. I need to do these things. No, 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 no. What What the world needs is for you to love Jesus, to love Jesus. That's my encouragement to you today, is to love Jesus on this Mother's Day. And you know what church history tells us? This is super cool. Super cool what church history tells us. That when Jesus was on the cross dying, that he turns to John, who was at the foot of the cross with his mother Mary. Mom, think about that. She saw, as Simeon prophesied, her son murdered and abused. And Jesus says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And he was showing what the church is now, that it's, a, that it's a family. And so what we know is that John becomes an elder and pastor in the church at Ephesus. And here's what we know. Church history tells us that Mary lived with John. And there's this great sort of story in church history where the apostle John serves Mary communion. Oh my You see, Mary didn't just love her child and her son as a mother, but she understood something. She understood the good news of Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that I can encourage you with on this Mother's Day is I think that that if you're drowning in a sea of uncertainty and maybe you're in a season of motherhood or being a woman where you feel all these doubts and insecurities and I don't even know if I... I feel guilty even being a mom or I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to be a wife. I think Mary is a model for motherhood and womanhood for you. Turn to the pages of scripture, but more than anything, my encouragement is to love Jesus and to find the goodness and kindness of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I want to close and and if you're a woman, I want to read this to you. This is Mary's uh, Magnificant, if you will. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates it. And it says these words. And Mary said, I'm bursting with good news. 
I'm dancing the song of my Savior, my God. God took one good look at me and look at what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy and set apart from all others, his mercy flows in wave after wave on those who were in awe before him. He has barred his arm and showed his strength, scattering and bluffing the people who brag. He knocks tyrants off their horses, but he pulls victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich, they were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them on high. God did exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham right up to now. The good news and the big idea of this Mother's Day, listen, that I want to tell you is this, that motherhood is marked by not your faithfulness towards God, but God's faithfulness towards you in Christ. Be encouraged today. Look towards Mary as a model for motherhood. But more than that, look beyond to her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today and I'm grateful for this good news from your word. God, I'm grateful that we can look in the pages of scripture and find someone who is a model for us, knowing that, that they were ordinary, that they were flawed that they needed the same grace and mercy and that we're not just left to our own devices. God, I pray for the women of Westside. I pray that they would be encouraged by your good news, not by self-help, but rather by the good news of that there is joy found in surrender to you. That there's joy found in obedience to your word. That there is help that there is help for those who admit that they need help. That is good news. And God, I just pray, I pray that through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, that the women of Westside would be women of the word and that they would find their identity and their joy and strength in the mercy and in the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Just like Mary said, God took one look at me and look at what he's done with my life now. I pray that to be the good news for the women of Westside. We pray this in the name that is above every name, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.